this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Haverty. We have reached one of the longest scenes in the play, indeed, one of the longest that Shakespeare ever wrote. We'll be investigating the ins and outs of Act 2, Scene 2, for several months to come. There are a great many new characters coming our way over the course of this scene, and the first of them appear in its opening line, and even give their names to this episode. We are back in the presence of the King and Queen, who are welcoming Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to court. True to form, Claudius has a speech at the ready, and this comprises the entire episode this week. Welcome, dear Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Moreover, that we much did long to see you, the need we have to use you did provoke our hasty sending. Something have you heard of Hamlet's transformation, so call it, sith nor the exterior nor the inward man resembles that it was. What it should be, more than his father's death, that thus hath put him so much from the understanding of himself I cannot dream of. I entreat you both, that being of so young days brought up with him, and sith so neighboured to his youth and haviour, that you vouchsafe your rest here in our court some little time so by your companies to draw him on to pleasures, and to gather, so much as from occasion you may glean, whether aught, to us unknown, afflicts him thus, that opened lies within our remedy. Hot on the heels of the previous scene, in which we have seen Polonius at work spying on young people, whether out of love or suspicion, here we get another look into the suspicious world of the Danish court. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are two of the most famous character names in Shakespeare. Whatever about their role within the play itself, they are the happy subjects of a rather wonderful play of their own by Tom Stoppard. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is the play of what happens to these two characters during the action of Hamlet itself. They speak and contemplate existence in a manner not enormously dissimilar to that of Vladimir and Estragon in Beckett's Waiting for Godot, which premiered only about a decade before. The play became a film, and has had countless productions since then. Indeed, I myself performed one of the roles while I was at university, and as a testament to the running joke of their being indistinguishable in Shakespeare and in Stoppard, that I myself cannot remember which of the two I played. Long before Tom Stoppard ensured their immortality, Shakespeare himself was clearly up to something by giving these two hangers-on these names. There's a great deal to be found on the internet about what might have inspired the two characters. I have to say there's nothing that has me 100% convinced, but there are some very interesting leads. Way back in Act 1, Scene 1, there was a reference to the new star discovered by the Danish astronomer Tycho Bray. Shakespeare put this beautiful little mention into the mouth of an otherwise average character, but close reading certainly makes it clear that he knew his astronomy. Tycho Bray gained a degree of fame for his discovery, 
and indeed there's a famous portrait of him from the period that includes the coats of arms of several of his ancestors, among them a Gildenstern, which in Danish means golden star, and a Rosenkrantz, which means a wreath of roses. This is all very well. Perhaps Shakespeare saw the portrait, and perhaps he was more than unusually assiduous in picking expressly Danish names for these supplementary Danish characters. Rather more plausible, although connected, is the detail that there were two inseparable young Danish ambassadors to England in the 1590s. Their names, you guessed it, were Frederick Rosencrantz and Knut Gildenstern. Not only that, it seems that Rosencrantz visited Prague towards the end of the decade and met there with his relative Tycho Bray before returning to England. It's tantalising to imagine that perhaps one evening, while the Lord Chamberlain's men were entertaining at court, a playwright and an ambassador chanced to talk about astronomy and the great minds of the day. We may never know, but it's certainly fun to imagine why these characters, of all characters, wind up with these very particular Danish names. A Rosencrantz connected with Europe's most famous astronomer, and a Gildenstern, the golden star recently observed in the sky. For all that, it's also worth noting that it might not be the most flattering portrait. Rosencrantz and Gildenstern aren't by any means the heroes of Shakespeare's play, after all. But enough backstory and conjecture. Claudius has summoned these two particularly named men to court, and as usual, has a rather oily way of explaining why. Welcome, dear Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. Moreover, that we much did long to see you, the need we have to use you did provoke our hasty sending. While, of course, he was eager to see them, it is specifically because he has a job for them that they have been hastily summoned. The king himself subtly acknowledges that the court is likely full of gossip about Hamlet's behaviour. We can infer from this that Ophelia isn't the only one who's had a peculiar run-in with Hamlet at this stage. Since he's standing with Hamlet's mother, and there are likely servants or even other courtiers present, Claudius remains diplomatic about it. Something have you heard of Hamlet's transformation, so call it, Sith nor the exterior nor the inward man resembles that it was. Hamlet has seemingly changed inside and out. This little line gives scope to the actor and the designer to present a change coming over Hamlet as he journeys through, or perhaps toward, the action of the play. Shakespeare gives us a helpful little piece of information in the next line. Claudius has no idea that Hamlet is on to him. No idea that Hamlet now knows that Claudius murdered his brother, the previous king. As far as he's concerned, his nephew's only cause for distress is the death of his father. What it should be, more than his father's death, that thus hath put him so much from the understanding of himself, I cannot dream of. There's something superbly patronising about the way Claudius refers to Hamlet's understanding of himself. It's a beautiful image, but it carries also the potential to be diplomatic, dismissive, patronising, or even withering. Claudius is very good at this role he's playing, of concerned uncle, eager to fix the problem of his nephew's antics. He now comes to the reason for summoning Gildenstern and Rosencrantz. I entreat you both, that, being of so young days brought up with him, and sith so neighboured to his youth and haviour, that you vouchsafe your rest here in our court some little time. Claudius is relying on the fact that the three young men will have grown up together in the Danish court. 
so we know now that Hamlet will have known them since childhood, and are likewise neighboured to his youth and behaviour. Claudius wants them to stay at court for a while, in the hopes that they might manage to get some information out of Hamlet, or, as he puts it, so by your companies to draw him on to pleasures, and to gather, so much as from occasion you may glean, whether aught to us unknown afflicts him thus, that, opened, lies within our remedy. Ideally, the two friends will encourage Hamlet to do things that he might enjoy, and take the opportunity to glean what the problem might be. Of course, as the king insists, so that he can solve or help with whatever this unknown problem might be. As has presumably become clear already, I don't trust Claudius at all, but I really enjoy how well Shakespeare writes his language. Technically, on paper, there's nothing bad or wrong about anything he says in this speech. There's absolutely room for a performer to deliver this speech with complete sincerity, from a place of genuine concern for this unhappy prince. But we do already know that this man is a murderer, so it's all the juicier for us from our position of awareness to watch his meticulous manipulation at work. Next to speak is Gertrude, who compounds her husband's request. But we'll save her speech and the two young men's responses for the next episode. Until then, feel free to visit our website, thehamletpodcast.com, which has had a little bit of an overhaul, and you can check there the show notes for this episode. As ever, this page will include the complete text covered this week, and I've also included the portrait of Tycho Bray and his Rosencrantz and Guildenstern relations. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I'll speak to you next time.